Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm host Dale Spangler, and this week my guest is Jennifer Shepard, marketing communications for Climb and 509 Brands, research analyst, writer, and expert off-road motorcycle racer. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. See the fastest racing on two wheels. It's Moto America Superbikes in Texas, September 8th through the 10th, with five classes, including Superbikes, Supersport, Stock 1000, and the ever-popular King of the Baggers and Super Hooligan National Championships. It's fun for the entire family, with kids under 12 free and available VIP and camping packages for the ultimate fan experience. It's Moto America Superbikes in Texas, September 8th through the 10th. Reserve your tickets and camping spot today by visiting MotoAmerica.com. Let's get started. Jennifer Shepard, welcome to Pit Pass Moto. Thank you for coming on today to share some of your personal story in power sports. How are you today? I understand you went on an awesome ride yesterday with Jeremy Shoning. Maybe you even called it like a Jeremy torture fest. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Tell us about that. You're in the Colorado mountains, you said right now. Yeah, absolutely. We spent a couple days at Taylor Park, and then we came back home to Sargent's yesterday, and just three back-to-back-to-back days of basically training for six days, you know? <laughs> so I'm really lucky and fortunate to have somebody who's way out of my league that I can chase down, you know? Well, from what I've seen, you hang in there pretty tough yourself, you know? So I, I, <laughs> I think you're probably, you're probably underselling yourself a little bit. But yeah, just so excited to have you on because I feel like there's just such a great story here to tell about your background, getting into power sports. Yeah. You and I have some similarities. I feel like you're a fellow word nerd, you know, like writer, yep. reader. You said you've been writing stories about as long as you've been riding dirt bikes since you were four years old. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which came first, you know, like the the writing or the riding? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Actually, that's a good question, Dale. Um, you know, my dad had the grand idea to give his daughter a three-wheeler for her fourth birthday. And um, I think I probably started writing after that. So yeah, I was just, you know, love at first ride. And, and I wanted to tell those stories. And, you know, it was so challenging. It was like, I had to get that out, you know. So writing is how I've always done it. Yeah, I, I bet at the time when he bought you that three-wheeler, he probably had no idea what he was getting you into, did he? I think he did, actually, you know, <laughs> uh, he was a racer and, and he, you know, he has racing in his blood. So I think he, he knew what he was getting into. I don't think my mother knew, <laughs> actually. So, Well, I read another, another thing where in 1992, at age seven, you accepted your first book award at the Young Authors Conference in Orlando. Yep. It's incredible. Tell us about this. I mean, that had to be like a rush, kind of similar to riding a motorcycle, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. And I think that seeded my love for journalism as a whole. Um, as a child, just always by myself and had all these stories to tell and all these adventures, you know, broken bones, you name it. And it was just kind of like my release and people actually liked it. So it was kind of shocking that, you know, my troubles and my terrors on the motorcycles could be compelling for others. So yeah, uh, my parents always encouraged me to write, and, and my dad has a knack for writing, too, and just kind of, like, came together, and I fell in love with motorcycles, but then I fell in love with writing, too. Well, that makes sense, because, yeah, riding a motorcycle, I feel like it automatically gives you 
stories to tell, Yeah, you know, just from each ride. Every ride is unique. Even like yesterday, like I'm sure you probably had some things <laughs> along the way that just are always unexpected and, and kind of funny and just always make for good campfire stories after the, the ride's over. Yeah. One of the things that's really cool out here in Colorado is the shared use trails. So you'll see everybody from hikers and bicyclists and, you know, everybody's out enjoying the beautiful mountains out here. And we passed a husband and a wife and an eight-year-old kid on a gnarly single track and they were on bicycles. And, you know, I was in my head like, oh, this is tough. This is so hard on my dirt bike. And this eight-year-old kid's over here on a bicycle. So, (laughs) you know, I stepped up my game after that. I was like, man, if that eight-year-old kid can do it, (laughs) it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole different level of, you know, being out in the middle of the mountains on a mountain bike. And like, were you pretty far? out then you know from like the trailhead oh yeah we were we did 85 miles yesterday wow so that's pretty much an all day yeah. like for people out there not familiar single track riding yeah a little little shorter you end up going shorter but it takes you way longer just because yeah 85 miles is a lot in a single day yeah we were probably 50 miles out at that point and then uh we turned back and i was like can we take a double track back <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned already your father, Lane, was a rider, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. You grew up in Florida. Like, when did you actually start racing or take an interest in racing? Yeah, he got me a few bikes after the three-wheeler because the three-wheeler was my first motorcycle. And then he said, if I can ride the three-wheeler on two wheels, I'm ready for a (laughs) two-wheeler. So (laughs) I learned how to ride the three-wheeler on two wheels and then uh, got my first Suzuki like DS80 and then moved up to an XR100. And he didn't want me to start racing until I was a teenager. So it was like right around my 13th birthday. XR100, you know, out there in the Florida trail riders, hair scrambles. I mean, it was hot. It was sandy. It was palmetto roots. Like I was terrified. I think I completed one lap and he was just proud that I even wanted to do it because of how tough the conditions were down there in Florida. So yeah, that was really cool. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Sand, sand and a little more sand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Just super rough down in Florida. Like I remember like the opening GNCC they would have. It just looked like a torture Mm -hmm. fest, you know, like you said, tree roots everywhere and then sand whoops for miles. Yeah. And then the sun just beating down on you and no, no forgiveness. Well, let's talk a little bit more about how you decided to pursue journalism because you have, geez, you know, I think you have like a master's. I mean, you have all this education, you know, something about your first term paper assignment at the University of South Florida, where you were tasked with interviewing someone about your dream job. And then you ended up working for Florida Motocross Magazine, which God, that's been around forever, I feel like. Yeah, Mike Floyd. I credit him, man. He, uh, He showed up to one of the FTR banquets when I was in high school. And I had started writing an article for the Florida Trail Riders Magazine. And it was called What's Hot, What's Not. And it was really just my dad encouraging me to tell the story of the races. So it would be like, you know, what's hot? Well, it was really hot. And this double A rider killed everyone. And then what's not? It'd be like there's 52 guys in C250 and eight in B250. or You know, just something like, why aren't there more B riders? So I just started getting more creative and, and writing that article. And then Mike Floyd approached me at the banquet. And we kind of connected just professionally. He's like, wow, you're a really good writer. And so flash forward to college and and University of South Florida, you know, I just remembered him and I was like, well, that would be my dream job working for him. And it turned into a job, which was so surprising. 
you know, I sent him a copy of my term paper with a, you know, the giant red A scrawled across the top from my professor. And then not five minutes later, Mike's like, you want a job? (laughs) And that was it. It was like, sure. I mean, heck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's just one of those situations where I feel like if you wouldn't have taken that chance and started there, like who knows where you would be right now. It's like that that first sort of step that a lot of people sometimes are afraid to kind of ask, you know? Right. Like I've had quite a few guests on that are like, you know, they they want to write for a magazine, but they're afraid to even approach them. And so, yeah, being able to just sort of step in and maybe find a hidden talent that you didn't know you had, you know, like writing these race reports to, to begin with. I think too, like, you know, the motorcycle industry is so small and connected and just remembering people along the way. And like you said, asking for help or just asking for an interview, I just needed an hour of his time. And it ended up, you know, we have a lifelong friendship now. So it's just so cool. So since then, within your career, you've moved between power sports and I'll call it, I guess, academia, right? You know, you were a teacher. Yeah. Um, you had jobs with Feld, for example in the power sports industry, FTR magazine, and now Climb. You went to Seminole State College and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and I think you got your master's from Syracuse. So, yep. wow, you've really spent a lot, a lot of time between, kind of like bouncing between academia, like I said, and power sports. Yeah, I, I really want to return to academia, but I just still have this passion for power sports and athletes and interviews. Like, I was standing up in front of the classroom, and I was always talking about dirt bike racing. And even to the point where the students were complaining that I only talked about motocross. And I'm like, but you guys never raced. You don't know. Like, it's so cool. It's the best sport on earth. And, you know, after COVID and we went online and it was kind of just, it wasn't the same anymore kind of thing. So I decided, you know, I should probably go back to what I eat, sleep and breathe. Like I dream about motorcycles. I wake up. How am I going to work on something about motorcycles today? You know, it's it's literally my life. So, yeah, I decided to apply for the job at Climb and it came through. And now I'm back doing what I love for work, which that's such a dream. You're finding a way to kind of like simultaneously combine your two passions, really, like dirt bikes and storytelling. And I think you even said like, you know, for what you believe is your purpose in life, right. you know, so maybe kind of elaborate more on that. Like if you could find a way to do both at the same time, it sounds like it'd be the perfect world for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was like my shtick in front of the college students is what do you guys love to do? And what do you think about every day when you wake up and go to sleep and dream about? And they really didn't think about that. Like the younger generation, just I find that they don't really dream and they don't have huge goals. Like where do you want to work? Red Bull or Monster Energy or ESPN? And they would just kind of look at me like, wait, we can do that? And I'm like, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Can, you can do it, guys. Like, So I would just get really pumped up and, and really wanted to share the stoke for just even if you like basket weaving or fishing or hunting or whatever it is, like you can find a job in that niche and it's really not work. <laughs> yeah, I never really thought about that, but you're right. I think a lot of those kids end up going to college and they're just, they're almost like have like a predetermined track yeah. that they're already on. Yeah. They have these blinders on in some ways, but like you said, there could be something out there that's, you know, a hidden talent again, or just a passion that, you know, why not pursue that? But it is hard when you're young like that because you always think you have to chase money. <laughs> yeah, they're jaded a lot, obviously, with the climate and the economy and politics. But, you know, even if one of them, if you could inspire one of them to go after a dream job. I mean, one of my former students, he wants to work for the WWE. And I'm like, well, you know what? I don't. I don't want to work there, but you do. (laughs) So like you you have a better chance than I do, you know, so it it was pretty cool. So I mentioned already Climb, where you presently work as the marketing communications director. 
I guess along the way, you progressed to this, you know, an expert level off-road racer. So you kind of just seemed like you found this perfect combination of the two things you love the most. But tell us about your role at Climb and what you do day to day. Yeah, I will have to correct you that I'm not the director yet, but I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I am in the marketing communications department. So we're responsible for basically communicating the brand message externally and internally too. Um, we make sure that we cover our athletes, our ambassadors, which there are hundreds of them across the whole world. So it's really cool. Obviously, it's one of the only companies that has all four seasons. You know, we're coming into snow right now. We're coming out of the off-road season. Touring and adventure biking is picking up. (laughs) We're like in four seasons all the time. So it's been really rewarding to connect with that group of people. And and what I found too, like I've worked for a number of different power sports companies and I, I was just searching for a company that was full of people like me, like that rode and dreamed about racing. And it was like something I kept missing and all, the, all these other companies It was a bunch of executives or it was just people that didn't ride anymore. And so Climb's like the first company I see myself in everybody because everybody rides something like whether it's a snowmobile or a snow bike or a dirt bike or a motorcycle. It's crazy like to be surrounded by people that actually still do it. So it's pretty magical, Dale. (laughs) Definitely, because we've all seen it. You know, there's a lot of these companies getting purchased by, you know, outside investment groups. And that tends to change the entire culture of these companies where, like you said, it's no longer a group of enthusiasts that every you come in on a Monday and you're talking about what trail you rode, you know, the previous weekend or what motocross race you went to. Yeah. And so, yeah, it really does change the vibe of, you know, working for a company that's filled with all like passionate enthusiasts like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you just feel seen, you know, and that's kind of what I finally found a, a company that I feel seen. So it's awesome. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I always like to talk a little bit about marketing. That's one of my favorite things to talk about. But, you know, what's, what's your take today on what works today with your, you know, like the climb audience out there? Um, I think it's as grassroots as you can get. Like if you can tell a single person's story that relates to multiple people or multiple audiences. Like for instance, I just wrote a story about Brock Butters, one of our climb athletes. He's a timber sled ambassador. He's a fast dirt bike racer. I mean, this guy does it all. He also has three kids and a wife and everybody rides. (laughs) And so, I mean, Brock not only shows up at the track to race, but he's helping his three kids. There's a set of twins and then a daughter, you know, he's giving them advice. He's cheering on the sidelines. I mean, this guy does it all. And I was like, wow, like this connects with a whole bunch of different people, right? Like a mom could read this article and connect because, you know, his wife was there and the the mother and watching the kids. And I mean, it was just a whole, it was a whole thing. So yeah, I think if you can get down to the, the nitty gritty and go as deep as you can in your marketing, 
I think that's more special than just a generic send it Sunday or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I've noticed this trend though, and I think it's a lot to do with all these shows like this podcast where a lot of athletes are are really kind of pulling back the veil, if you will, or the curtain and and really revealing what's going on in their life. And yeah. it's sort of refreshing because in the past, I feel like it was always just hide everything, hide, hide, hide. You know, if you're injured, you got to hide it. Now everybody's kind of becoming more forthcoming with their information. It's really, it's really great to see. And that kind of goes back to that air quotes authenticity, you know, which is when done correctly, I feel like it just has such a significant impact on the audience. Like I think what comes to mind to me immediately is the series you guys sponsored with Jesse and Lucas, the super hard, you know? Oh yeah. And I just felt like, isn't that hilarious? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so real because <laughs> I feel like you're seeing it from an amateur perspective to where this is what it's really like, not what the pros do when you see them masterfully ride through a section, like it's nothing. Right. So. I think the cool thing about the Super Hard series is, like you said, it's amateurs doing it. You know, growing up, I I always thought, like, why is our sport so mysterious? Like, why don't we get to see what these guys go through and, and, and how, how hard it is? Like, I mean, you watch it on TV and you're like, wow, that looks so easy. And then you go out, do it the next day on Sunday and, and you can't even, like double a whoop or whatever. And man, I watch super hard and I'm, I'm laughing. I'm holding my chest because it's so painful to watch. Like, <laughs> it's just so cool to see that transparency into the sport. So uh, I'm really stoked that that is being well received. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse's like one line zingers <laughs> are just, you know, I mean, just to tune in for that. or <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. He's even better in person. Oh, yeah. You got to stay on your toes around him for sure. Like be listening all the time. Absolutely. So what's your what's your favorite aspect of your current job with Climb right now? I think internally, the team, the people, a lot of the people have been there since Justin Summers started Climb in 1999. And so just to have that background into the company and, and how it's grown, um, obviously acquired by Polaris in 2012, so it's still growing. And externally, being able to tell that story, I don't know if you have seen, but this fall we've released a new lifestyle collection. So we have dozens and dozens of new clothes coming out this fall. You know, I, I don't know if you are like this too, Dale, but like when I was little, I always had to wear something with Fox on it. So I always could be identified as a motorsports person. You know, once Fox kind of sold out, if you will, I no longer had anything to identify myself with other people who would identify, you know. And so now we're going to have all these lifestyle clothes that are still like technical and they still have attention to detail like Climb's known for and they're high quality. So it's going to be really cool to see how they land because like now you can walk around in some really nice looking premier clothes and also show your enthusiasm for power sports. So it's kind of like turning a corner and I'm really excited to be on board and, and help just communicate that message. Like now you can wear climb all day long, you know? So that seems to be a trend right now. I've even seen it like in the golf world. Yeah. You know, they're making these like performance fabrics that are more fashionable. So you can pretty much do anything. In them. Yeah. And with climbs reputation, of course, of making just high quality products. I always tell people like, if your life depends upon your gear, when you're out riding, you're probably going to want to wear a climb. So. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> So what about racing for you, though? Because you are an expert level, you know, racer. Do you have aspirations to do anything, you know, big with that? You know, Dale, I had a, I'm a really competitive person and mostly just with myself. So I had a goal this year, this season to compete in the National Enduro Series in the women's elite class, which is the pro level class. And I quickly found out that that wasn't for me. Um, this year they changed the format. So they put all of the women's elite 
ahead of all the men's pro. So every reset, we would have 10 to 15, 20 guys passing us. And I mean, they're racing for money. Granted, it's not that much money, but like it was very brutal, um, traumatizing at times. They were really rough on passing. And, you know, a few of my uh, fellow competitors were taken out. And so I just realized that maybe this year is not for me. So I did the first three rounds. I talked to the promoters about the format and it just wasn't going to change. So uh, I decided to step back from that. And I, and I want to have fun racing. I don't want to go out on Sunday morning and get yelled at and cussed at and, and targeted, I think, too, because they do see the ponytail. And I think there is some of that still in the sport, unfortunately, that, you know, women don't belong. So I took a step back, did some hare and hounds, um, just, you know, started having more fun racing. And because that's what it's all about. I mean, that's why we all got into this, because it was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. When it starts to get stressful is when the fun goes away, for sure. Right. You know, and yeah. so that, that's weird, though. I've never, I, I didn't hear about that, but that just seems like a recipe for disaster. Just, yeah. It's like putting a C class in front of the pro class. Right. They're aggressive. I know what you mean, because in moto, like people yell at each other when they're coming into corners when it's quiet. And it's, yeah, swearing's part of it. So it's not very fun. <laughs> yeah. So this weekend coming up is the Ohio National. And I actually entered in the B250 class because. You know, I had requested of the promoter, can I enter women's elite and just get a later row, like, you know, 50 or just a later row? And they said no. So I decided to enter a different class. Therefore, I could get a later row. And uh, it's going to be fun. You know, it's just going to be back to racing and, and not getting yelled at. <laughs> That kind of sounds like it sort of inspires some of your, I, I read somewhere where you said like you write about broken bones and stories of being the only girl. <laughs> so that's exactly what it is. But I mean, how does it feel now to be in such a good place in your personal and professional lives? I mean, that's got to be a pretty cool feeling. I appreciate that, Dale. I'm super grateful and thankful, but I think it's a testament to what racing has taught me and that's to not give up. Even if you're going to go slow, don't quit. Like my dad would always say, um, don't stop, just keep going. Now it's one rock at a time, but it used to be one whoop at a time. So it's like, just keep going, don't quit. And I, you know, I think a lot of people give up because it's hard. Like you have to have persistence and you got to be hungry. And that's two things that I think I have. <laughs> and then, you know, just meeting Jeremy is like, I had this perfect image of a person that I wanted and, and he has the lifestyle that I want and finally met him, you know, and, and I could have settled, man. Like I could have settled a bunch of times and I didn't cause I wanted this life. So yeah, it's pretty cool to finally have it. And, you know, he's so good for me just all around, um, on the bike and off the bike. And it's pretty special. Well, I don't think I've ever seen a photo of Jeremy where he's not smiling or laughing and just like you said, just charging life, you know, like having a good time yep. and, and living in the moment. Right. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, one other thing I noticed is you are a uh, an ambassador for the Women Leaders in Power Sports. Tell us about that. So Polaris has an internal group and it's basically to encourage more women um, to get into power sports because if you think about it, there aren't that many. And if you don't see yourself, then you can't really dream that you can be there. So yeah, they've uh, opened it up to all the subsidiaries for the first time. And so a uh, colleague, Kelsey Runge, and I are the two climb members of the WLP for Polaris. And we meet 
about on a monthly or bi-monthly basis with the entire group and just kind of talk about how it is being a female and in power sports and what we can do to kind of encourage more young people to apply for jobs in power sports and just how we can kind of navigate that um, because it is still so it's not as popular, <laughs> you know, as fashion design or, or food or travel blogging or something, you know? Yeah, I have seen quite a few women, though, like especially on the marketing side of things, you know, like like one of the guests I've had on, you, you probably know, is uh, Brienne Poland, who worked for Royal Enfield, for example. Oh, okay. Super sharp, smart, you know, and I feel like they've got quite a few, you know, good women leaders out there in companies at the moment. And I, I agree. I feel I think it's nice to have that diversity and different perspective, you know, yeah. instead of just always being so one-sided. Yeah, absolutely. Like that saying, if you can see it, you can be it. So just remembering that a little bit. Well, you have to be one of the most overqualified people in power sports, <laughs> in my mind, with the master's degree in journalism. You have published books. I think I remember you said you're working on your memoir to one day top the New York Times bestseller list. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. You got to have goals. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you weren't working in power sports, though, like what would you, what would you do, be doing to uh, fill that void? You know, what I would love to do is I meet all these people that ride motorcycles that have such amazing stories. And I feel like they need books written. I feel like there's so many stories that are going to just die with these legends, you know, and and I want to make sure that we document this just as a journalist and, and preserving history and telling it even for your grandkids, if only your grandkids read it. That's something that I still think about a lot and helping people get their stories down on paper. I love that. That's that's a great thing to encourage. Like you said, because power sports definitely has a tendency to just kind of like just move on and, and not necessarily record our history very well. You know, not like other sports, I would say. Uh, yeah, we're not in the memoir writing business yet. So maybe we could get there. <laughs> yeah, I always thought it'd be fun to do like, you know, because I had some stories where I you know, lived in Europe for a while. And I thought it'd be fun just to do a few of those like where I'd, a chapter would be just an experience. But then I'm like, I don't think I'd want to probably tell all the stuff that I experienced because some of the stuff was a little bit right. <laughs> out there. Yeah, you know? of course. So probably not. Well, what's next for Jennifer Shepard? Are you have anything in the immediate future and uh, for the rest of the year going on or, or any other personal goals and projects? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm chipping away at the memoir um, almost daily. Um, Jeremy's invited me to go to six days with him. So that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I got vacation days already approved. Like we're just kind of two months out from going to Argentina. That's like as far as we can see, I think. But uh, yeah, just trying to keep up with that guy, man. I can't <laughs> even keep up with his dust. Are you guys going to spend any extra time before or after down there in Argentina? Because like you said, that's a once in a lifetime for sure. Yeah, I think there's a few days on the front end that we're going to just get acclimated. And I mean, it's going to be summer down there in November. So uh, we're going to head out to the desert in the next couple of weeks and and he's going to make me train with him. <laughs> so, yeah. Get acclimated to some heat before you yeah. head down there. Right. And of course, uh, I'm like, well, you'll have the best gear on the planet to stay, you know, stay cool. So absolutely. Well, Jen, really appreciate your time today. Uh, it's been fun hearing some of your story. And uh, if there's any last words you want to share before we close out this episode, now would be the time to do so. Sweet. I appreciate it, Dale. Yeah, I would just, you know, encourage listeners to, if they have a dream or they think about something every day, you know, make sure you try and, and keep trying. 
dream big. And, and my dad always says, go fast, take chances. Well, appreciate it, Jen. You're doing great things and uh, looking forward to seeing what comes down the, the road from you. And, and when you do get that book published, I'll be definitely ordering that thing up because I'm excited to read it. Sweet. Appreciate it, Dale. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmotorsports.com where you can listen to the past episodes and check out the new Pit Pass Motorsports blog powered by Podium Life, featuring articles and industry news focused exclusively on two-wheel and four-wheel motorsports. Head to pitpassmotorsports.com to check it out. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> I know, right?